Disturbing Interest is a Horrible Histories, Terrible Mysteries podcast. The past, and sometimes the present, are often a bleak place. Listener discretion is advised. If you're a fan of Disturbing Interests, please like and subscribe. And for the love of God, tell a friend about us. Pretend you're a Mormon. Go door to door with the good news of Disturbing Interests. Preach our gospel, brothers and sisters, and non-gender binary siblings, to the world at large. Because remember, with us, you might be disturbed, but you're not alone. Welcome back to Disturbing Interest, everyone. I am Regina King, your evil queen, and sitting somewhere in Las Vegas is my ever-beautiful partner, Lynn Roskamp, your docent of darkness. Now, Lynn is part of this week's story. You will hear her lovely voice. We actually just broke this up into two parts after some technical difficulties when I realized that it was running long and... This episode definitely deserves two parts with the subject matter. So we hope you enjoy. Thank you for tuning back in. And remember, you might be disturbed, but you're not alone. So we are picking back up after some technical difficulties where my laptop decided that it was going to try to die on us. It's like, I'm done. Just done. Yeah. It, it, your la- even your laptop hates talking about freaking Ted Bundy. Seriously. All right. So, two hours after Carol Ann DeRanche escaped his grasp, Deborah Kent had become Ted's fourth successful victim in just over a month's time. He took her back home, where he kept her for 24 hours. Mercifully, she was only alive to suffer for half of that time. When police searched the parking lot, where her car was left, they found a handcuff key that they determined fit the handcuff that had been left on Carol Ann DeRanche's wrist, firmly linking the two crimes. Hearing Carol Ann DeRanche talk about the survivor's guilt she fought through, well, we'll just it, it'll just break your heart because she lived... And this other little girl died. That's that's hard. There are so many different ways that he victimized these people. On March 2nd, 1975, on Taylor Mountain in Washington, about an hour from Seattle, a group of forestry students, again. Oh man, poor Actually, this students. one might have been a group of hunters and I just miscredited them. So somebody who's out in the woods a lot. Yeah, just don't go looking too much, too closely in our woods. You will be horrified, is what I'm saying. Yep. They came across a skull fragment. One of the cops literally tripped over some of the local fauna. Oh, Jesus. And looked up to come face to face with one of the four skulls that would eventually be found there. So I realized this was a group of forestry students who found this uh, group of bodies and it might have been a a group of hunters at the previous group of bodies. So um, if, if I did attribute that wrong to the hunters who were out there and found those missing girls, thank you. The skulls of these victims were the only remains that would be found of 21 year old Linda Ann Healy 18-year-old Susan Elaine Rancourt, 
22-year-old Roberta Kathleen Parks and 22-year-old Brenda Ball. Do you have any idea how hard it is to hold a severed piece of human anatomy? Uh, I've never tried it. As a former medical worker, I have had that experience. Not a head, but an arm. A head? Oh, oh an yeah. arm. Yeah. It's not the easiest thing to do in the world for most. And out of consideration for you all, my gentle listeners, I will not tell you about the feeling that sets in the moment you pick up that limb. But I cannot imagine carrying a head a thousand feet through the Washington woods at night. Oh, oh no. No, thank you. But I can imagine the kind of monster it would take to do that. Now, you may ask, Regina, why are you harping on the severed head thing? We know Bundy was a bad guy. I'm just really driving home that perspective. We have all heard time and time again how charming, handsome, and seemingly normal Bundy was. But this is me adjusting that narrative back to the correct perspective. Bundy was a monster. He was a necrophiliac, and he was a child killer. These women were young women, or they were children. They were babbies, little babbies. Anyway, so, back in Seattle, they were receiving... 500 calls a day into the tip line and had no idea what to do. So they started the GBU task force. They finally got a task force, also known as the Grizzly Business Unit. The Grizzly Business Unit? Yeah. Wow. That was why I suggested uh, either the snake wine you drank or the the one with the grizzly bear on it. I yeah, do have a grizzly yeah. bear, so I have to tell some kind of horrible bear-related story at some point in the future so I can drink that horrible beverage. Oh, nice. Okay. They narrowed down all of those leads from 1,000 suspects to 100 viable leads. And Ted Bundy was number seven on that list. That's good. They got, they actually, okay, that's good. Again, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to, to give cut them a break. I mean, with that many, I'm impressed with that many leads, with that many tips. I'm impressed. Yeah. Meanwhile, back in Salt Lake City, a cop passed a beige Volkswagen, found it suspicious, and decided to pull him over. Because, you know, you heard that a suspect was driving a Volkswagen. Nice. Nice. Yeah, the sus wagon. Excellent. Sus wagon. I like that. And Bundy, understanding that the best getaway vehicle around was the Volkswagen bug started to flee. Oh, Lord. And after running two signs, decided that mistakes were made and pulled over. I I drive a Volkswagen and I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's a peppy car, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's not, it's not little bandit. It's not the, the Dukes of Hazzard car. It's not generally, no. No. The police officer promptly arrested him for evading an officer and possession of burglary tools. Now, why burglary, you may ask? Because he was dressed all in black, 
And when his car was searched, they found a ski mask, handcuffs, rope, a pantyhose mask, flashlight, and a crowbar. Oh, that's not that's not weird and creepy and suspicious at all. That's just normal car stuff, right? Sure. 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 Maybe look, maybe he's maybe he likes to wear the pantyhose, makes him feel pretty. And um, then he's going to go, like, uh, I don't know, fix some stuff with the, the, the crowbar and the tools. Maybe maybe he's the cross-dressing mechanic. You don't know his life. Goth. Cross-dressing goth mechanic. Yeah, there, yeah he's the cross-dressing ninja mechanic. Oh, That's what he is. Yeah, there we go. A ninja mechanic. That yes. explains the ski mask. Sure, that seems super normal. Yeah, totally yeah. 100 normal. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Fortunately, the cops connected the dots and tied him to the attempted kidnapping of Carol Ann Durant and the kidnapping of Deborah Kent. Carol immediately identified him from the lineup, like immediately identified him. Ted's luck kind of ran out at this point because back in Washington, his ex-girlfriend or possibly still girlfriend at that time, I'm not sure. It was kind of muddied during this whole thing. Elizabeth Koffler had started working with the police. She was in a really tough situation. Talk about, you know, what that did to her mindset. Yeah, I I mean, imagine if, like, the person you were like, he was really nice, and my sweet baboo, and oh my god, he might have freaking murdered a bunch of a bunch of young women like how that would fuck up your brain real hard well they were together long enough that he was like the the father figure for her daughter who was three when they got together and also how messed is that for that kid Oh, oh she is a beautiful badass who i'm like secretly crushing on this woman is amazing molly oh my gosh talk about a hell of a person wow good for you molly good for you molly Rose above. Also, probably the only person who can say that Ted Bundy taught her how to ride a bicycle. Yeah, okay, that's a, that is a claim to fame. Yeah, like there are pictures in the documentary and stuff. It's like, oh, God. The entire congregation back at the Mormon church that he had gone to sent him a thinking of you card when he went to court with Carol because they believed him so wholeheartedly. It was like doodled and signed and nice little messages and wow. Jesus, patriarchy is a hell of a drug. February 2nd, 1976. They went to court and of course they tried to discredit the witness but Carol Durant was an unshakable badass lady and because of her testimony Bundy was convicted of attempted kidnapping and sentenced to 1 to 15 years in prison now that seems a bit light to me but it was the 70s so I guess we should just be happy that they didn't call her a silly little lady and send him on his merry white way oh it's just hijinks he was just doing some hijinks can't ruin this good boy's life and future forever In October of 1976, while in prison in Utah, Colorado came in and charged him for the murder of Karen Campbell because they found a credit card receipt that put him in the area. Karen Campbell, 23, was abducted from Aspen, Colorado on January 12, 1975. She went missing from the Wildwood Inn and her body was found three miles away 
five days later. The police were able to link Bundy to the crime with a microscopic hair evidence found in his bug, which, remember, it wasn't DNA evidence back then, so it, it really was just hair comparison, and a receipt, like I said, that placed him in Colorado at the time. That's, that's pretty thin, right? Uh, even I have to sure. say that's, that's a pretty thin case. On March 2nd, 1977, he went to court, and of course, he defended himself. And you know what they say about a man who defends himself, right? He has a fool for a lawyer. Well, that and he really does save a ton in legal fees. <laughs> as well as rent for the next 20 years to right? life. Hey, but he gets three hots and a cot, you know. Yeah. Because Bundy was his own legal counsel, he was allowed the use of the library on the second floor in the courthouse to prepare for his case. The deputy who was on shift to guard Bundy was a smoker and would close the door before stepping away to smoke a cigarette. Since Bundy was on the second floor and the guard was still watching the door, he thought that would be fine. Little did anyone know that Bundy was cunningly doing ankle strength training exercises in prison to jump out the window from the second story without injuring himself before making a run for it. I mean, I do have to give him a little credit for that. I'd be like, I, I don't know that I would be that clever enough to be like, okay, now I'm going to build up my ankles so I can jump out. I mean, that, that you know, that's, that's, that's kind of, I don't want to give him credit for anything. Never mind. This gave a whole new spin to the hard fact that smoking kills. Yes, just very indirectly. Yes. Don't smoke, folks. Or do. You know, you're hurting yourself, really. Just don't smoke around others. Now, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with Aspen, but Colorado is not easy country to survive in, let alone in the wilderness, on your own, without survival gear. I mean, he wasn't going to get too far on foot, right? Especially if he's even with strong ankles, that's got to be kind of an owie jump. Well, he did sprain an ankle. Good. I hope it hurt. But that was it. <laughs> After setting up roadblocks and searching the community for six days, Bundy was finally apprehended in a stolen car with that sprained ankle wearing stolen clothes and trying to hide his face with a hat that was comically small for him, according to the arresting oh, officer. I picture him in like one of those like propeller beanies. <laughs> I picture him in like a Tweedledee oh, yeah, sized yeah. hat. That yeah, works. yeah. Real or small. like a Puddles pity party little little tiny crown. Yeah. I'm I'm here for this. He had been hiding out in a ski cabin that he had broken into nearby up on the ridge. And once he went back to court, he was slapped with escape, evading arrest, and a bunch of theft counts for every single thing he stole. Good. Now, I mean, really think about this, though, because at this point, all they've got him on is with this credit card receipt and this hair evidence and he has been convicted in Utah, yes, but it's possible he could only have to serve a year there. 
So making a run for it and then getting hit with a bunch of theft and burglary and everything else on top of it, that that really seems very detrimental for Plus him. Plus it shows he had very little faith in his lawyer. That's all I'm saying. I mean, would you? I No. <laughs> I would not like to have Ted Bundy as my defense attorney. Thank you, no. 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 Then... Six months later, in Garfield County Jail in <sighs> Glenwood Springs, Colorado. And you may be asking, why is he still in jail in Colorado six months later? Why hasn't this case wrapped up yet? Well, after all of this happened, he convinced the judge that anybody in the Aspen County would be prejudiced against him and couldn't serve on the jury. And so they were sending him to another county. And on December 31st, 1977, Ted Bundy managed to pull off his second escape from custody. I kind of, this, this just does not paint uh, Colorado in a positive light as being good at, you know, managing uh, inmates at all. Yeah. Okay. So this time he lost enough weight to shimmy out through a one foot light fixture. Wow. And he may have reclaimed his freedom by losing 35 pounds, but in the process, the state of Colorado's pride was also lost. So I think a, a bigger thing was lost there. Now you might ask, but Regina, if it was that easy, why isn't everyone going on starvation kicks and busting out of prison? It wasn't actually that easy, though. I mean, I don't want to give Colorado credit here because they did end up losing Ted Bundy who went on to kill more people but somehow Bundy managed to get his hands on two key elements that made this plan work. A hacksaw and a detailed map of the prison. How did he get, does, it, do, does anybody know how he managed to obtain those things? We don't know. We do not know. Did he have like a little friend on the outside or within the system that was trying to help him? We, we don't know. The closest speculation that people have made is they thought it might have been Carol Ann Boone. And this is allegedly, allegedly, people thought it might have been Carol Ann Boone, a friend of his at the time from Washington because she brought him $500 as well. Okay. Yeah. But I'm, I'm sure that those things weren't just lying around somewhere for him to pick up. You would think that no. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I mean, okay. Maybe the hacks, like perhaps someone was like a repair person was somewhere within the, the, cause this isn't like big time prison. This is more like, holding small county holding jail right rather than like serious like maximum security prison yeah it's a county jail yeah, it's county lockup yeah. yeah so again it's not like but still uh, super high security. have you ever so, seen the inside of the county lockup and i don't mean I, like yes how, yeah that's not something that's like easy to bust out of that's not no, something no, that they're I mean, just leaving tools about. Right, like, okay, possibly, maybe the hacksaw blade, like, he snuck it out of, like, you know, because he, he's good at kind of weaseling into the confidence of, he's, of he's people in authority. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a weasel. You know, he's the right demographic. Possibly he could have, like, 
become like a trustee and ended up like being able to slither one of those but a detailed fucking map of the jail where who has one of those right somebody had to go out of their way to get that I call shenanigans. Yeah. And I'm not clear on what the relationship was with Carol Ann Boone at this point, if it was romantic or not. Mm-hmm. But $500 went a lot further in 1977 than it does now. Yeah. In fact, if you want to be disgusted, in today's money, that would have been $2,252.50. Like, I don't have $2,252 and what, 52 cents, just like around like if you were like help i need two thousand fifty two dollars fifty two cents to post bail i'd be like give me a minute you know like that would take a little bit of doing i'm just saying i appreciate that you would be willing to round up round up two thousand two hundred fifty two dollars and fifty cents to to get my ass out of jail if i needed it thank you well and i I might bake you a cake with a hacksaw blade in it but i draw the line at a detailed map of the penitentiary (laughs) That would require going and getting, like, you know, town hall. I have to go to the library, and I hate that. I hate going to the Hall of Records. That sucks. Yeah, bureaucracy. No, that's a bridge too it's far. It's a bridge too far. It's okay. I know where our, our friendship lies now. That yes. Where the line no. is. I just yep. can't uh, can't ask you for those detailed prison maps. Nope, not going to do it. Sorry. One of the things that really struck me when writing up my notes this go round at least was how frequently Bundy struck. I did mention that earlier, but with that kind of voracious raging ad- addiction, it, it, it's an, ad- it, that's all I can see it as because mm-hmm. he actually kind of described it at one point as an addiction to murder. There was no way he would have stopped killing while on the run. And don't get me wrong. I truly believe that this, it was with these impulses more than anything that drove Bundy to escape. I don't think that he was trying to get out for any other reason than because he wanted to kill. He could have been released after a year and a half, like I said, in Utah. And we talked about how thin the evidence was in Colorado. I truly believe the reason he escaped was because he couldn't stop himself once he thought he could. And he was enough of a narcissist and fucking brazen. Of course he had to try. Yeah, and also, like, maybe this is the whole Dunning-Kruger effect. Like, in that Mm. he just thinks he's super good at stuff, even though, you know, he did escape a couple times. So, yes, kind of good at that, but also kind of dumb, too, in many ways. So, yeah, I, I feel like people who think they're really smart are often not you know i definitely agree yeah i feel like his his outsized sense of his own ability to do things did not serve him well but then again it did because that audacity got him pretty fucking far i mean who amongst us can say we have escaped prison in colorado twice twice right yeah it's true 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 Once, maybe, but twice. All right, I'll hand it to you, Theodore, you dick. This fucking guy. This fucking guy. He then traveled to Denver, Chicago, Ann Arbor, Atlanta, and Tallahassee, where we finally meet back up with Ted again. So you cannot tell me that in that two-week time period between Colorado and Florida, 
that he was inactive. I don't believe it. I I mean, I'd like to believe it, but I don't. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like he would. He had so much pent up desire to do the murdering, Mm -hmm. you know. For 46 days, he was on the run before being caught in Florida. And there is no one who convinced me, can convince me, like I said, that there isn't a victim or two out there in all his stops that we don't know about. In Tallahassee, at the Chi Omega Sorority House at Florida State University on the night of January 14th, 1978, after being on the run for 14 days, 14 days, and Ted does this. He, yet again, proves his savagery by committing a crime so heinous that it shook the nation. When I think of the old, like, yellow journalism monikers that they handed out to people, like Ripper, I, this is what I think about. I apply it to Ted Bundy. He is truly the monster that they came up with these names for. Ted walked through the house, the sorority house, while the four occupants slept and attacked them. In the first room, he beat 21-year-old Margaret Bowman to death and bludgeoned and strangled Lisa Levy. He also raped one of them during the attack. Karen Chandler and Kathy Kleiner were the next two that he attacked by being bludgeoned. They were fortunate enough to survive, but the trauma that must still live with them to this day is horrifying. Kathy, she's interviewed in several of the documentaries, and and she goes over what she remembers. And listening to the visuals that she remembers, it's, it's several lifetimes worth of nightmare fuel. Then, as if this was not enough for him, six blocks away, Ted broke in and attacked another girl. Cheryl Ann Thomas in her apartment. Of course, the immediate concern from everyone who had engaged with Bundy previously was that this was their monster that was rearing his head from Florida. But some in Florida found it hard to believe that he would be there 14 days after going missing in Colorado. All they knew for sure was that someone was hunting girls. I would like to take a moment and point out that this is how Ted really did think of it. Like I said earlier, he thought of it as hunting. Like he talked about it like it was sport. The hunter hunting. He spoke about it as someone speaks about hunting big game. 25 days later, on February 9th, 1978, A hundred miles away in cold and rainy Lake City, Florida, 12-year-old Kimberly Leach was abducted from her school, Lake City Junior High. Let me say that again. Twelve years old. She was a baby. In fact, to really put things into perspective here, Molly, the daughter of his longtime girlfriend in Washington, 
was the same age as Kimberly Leach. Ted, like I said, had acted as a father figure to Molly from the time she was three until he was arrested in Utah. And hearing Molly's disgust and struggle with coming to terms with the murder of little Kimberly, it's just another aspect of victimization to her that he caused. However, it's sort of fascinating. It's like, you know, why are some people like pets to him and some are livestock to slaughter? Yeah. You know, like that just, that's chilling. Like, yeah, it's, it's bizarre. Yeah. I mean, just the whole ability of him to sort of be perfectly pleasant and normal to a certain small segment of the population, but then like the mask comes off and he's an absolute brutal killer to this other segment. It's, yeah, it's wild. It's how does how does that work in your brain? I don't know. Yeah. And you know how you look at some people and and you just you see something in them. Molly she is a truly a beautiful badass of a woman. Like you look at her and and you think of an extremely sharp sword because she has been tempered with hellfire. She's she made it she and her mom both made it to the other side of this and that's amazing that is amazing good for them six days later on february 15th 1978 the reign of terror that was ted bundy finally comes to an end when a police officer pulled over a stolen wait for it volkswagen Loves him a Volkswagen. Fun fact. Bundy's original beige bug can now be found in the National Crime and Punishment Museum in Washington, D.C. And if we ever take disturbing travels, trademarked, that far out, we will make sure to stop by and see this absolutely terrifying leftover physical remnant of this absolute horror show. And these horrific crimes that he committed in them. And it's just to me that's hilarious. Like, it's a Volkswagen Beetle of death. Like, I as somebody that drives a Volkswagen, it's it's not a like terrifying murder car. You know, it's it's it, it's kind of dorky, honestly. So okay, you know, I, even even wholesome, innocent things can be can be terrifying depending on who uses them, I guess. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out why he, this guy who's on the FBI's most wanted list, who is synonymous with the bug and would become synonymous with the Volkswagen bug in a way that I'm sure had to affect their sales, steals a fucking Volkswagen. This this makes sense. It was a rust orange Volkswagen. I mean, he was on the FBI's 10 most wanted list at this point. That makes me think that the Volkswagen had to have become a part of his pathology in some kind of way. Maybe. I mean, and they're also, they're just, they were just such an easy to have cheap car of the time. Like, you know what other terrifying figure uh, drove a Volkswagen bug? John Wayne Gacy? Maybe. Oh, God. Like, I just picture a clown car with infinite numbers of horrible murder clowns coming out this, of it. Oh, God, this no. is why I, I thought of John Wayne Gacy, because that was the first thought that popped into my head. Yes. 
No, this is another terrifying figure that you speak of often on the show. Barry. That's right, <laughs> Barry. Yeah, my the car, my our family car when I was a little tiny child was a Volkswagen Bug. popular. Yep. Anyway, so the cars had an eight track in it. Like, nice. I think, but yeah. Nice. I dated the guy with the Volkswagen, and I always thought to myself, I actually dated two guys with Volkswagens. One of them was beige, and I always thought to myself, this is Bundy's car. The Bundy Mobile. My, mine is gray, so. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, so, Bundy is arrested after trying to fight back and flee, which, you know, that's, that, that's great. He tried to flee. He got himself knocked upside the head. We actually have several pictures of him <laughs> all, all swollen and stuff. But fortunately... I mean, like, I'm usually not a fan of police violence, but in this one specific case, get him. Yeah, Whack I'm okay em. with it. Billy Club, that son of a no. bitch. Fortunately, Just the only one. one injured in the arresting scuffle was Ted himself. And, you know... He easily could have killed that officer and kept going, bebopping along on his reign of terror. Um, of course, Ted claimed to be somebody else and tried to hide his identity. And because it was the 70s, it did take a few ticks to confirm that they did in- indeed recapture the notorious, dangerous, and utterly monstrous narcissistic serial killer that had taken at least three lives in his 45 days of ill-gotten freedom. Ah, the notorious T.E.D. Immediately, they connected Ted to the sorority house attack. The stolen Volkswagen was taken mere blocks from the sorority house, which was excellent evidence linking him to the area. But could they actually tie him to the crime itself? Now, Anyone has, who has looked into true crime in the U.S. usually comes across Bundy and pretty fast. He loved to talk and is well documented in recordings, both audio and video, enjoying the sound of his own voice. His narcissism, narcissism audacity, and flair for showmanship caused him to really step out into the forefront of the spotlight in a way most serial killers avoid and because people found him so charming and handsome it was an easy spotlight to find throw in his legal training and his alleged good looks and charm you have a perfect storm for a media frenzy which is what the trial in florida turned into i could talk about how the state officials leaned into the press conferences and interviews and how it turned into a distasteful circus-like atmosphere with Ted as one of the main performers. But I really think it's received more than enough attention. It became something lurid, which focused the attention away from the victims and more on Ted himself. However, I will highlight the important takeaways from the trial that Florida gave us. First, this was one of the biggest cases for bite mark evidence in U.S. judicial history. In the attack, Bundy viciously bit Lisa Levy on her breast, not once, but twice. He bit, reared back, and bit again, leaving two identical and very distinctive impressions that matched his teeth. 
Second, Bundy cited a strange law to declare his intention to marry his then-girlfriend, Carol Ann Boone, in the court proceedings, therefore ratifying their marriage legally. Carol Ann is an interesting figure in Bundy's story, and it appears that she might have been his last real victim. He truly convinced her of his innocence, you see. And I think the last and final takeaway from this trial should be the impropriety of the judge, which, when Bundy was found guilty and sentenced to death, the judge said two things that will be his legacy more than anything else in his career ever will. The court finds that both of these killings were indeed heinous, atrocious, and cruel, and that they were extremely wicked, shockingly evil, and the product of design to inflict a high degree of pain and utter indifference to human life. It is ordered that you shall be put to death by a current of electricity, that that current be passed through your body until you are dead. And, he said, take care of yourself, young man. I say that to you sincerely. Take care of yourself, please. It's a tragedy for this court to see such a total waste, I think, of humanity that I have experienced in this court. You're a bright young man. You would have made a good lawyer, and I would have loved to have had you practice in front of me. But you went another way, partner. Take care of yourself. I don't feel any animosity toward you. I want you to know that. Once again, take care of yourself. Well, I mean, it's not like women are people, right? So, you know, it's just a bummer that, like, his little habit of killing non-people, that would be women, unfortunately just precluded him from going about and doing his regular business. What a bummer. There is nothing anyone will ever be able to say that will make me find that judge lamenting the loss of Bundy before the loss of his victims as acceptable. Oh, zero. Fuck that guy, too. It just This is just a giant circle of fuck this guy and fuck that guy. And normally this is where Bundy's story would end. But oh, 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 not Ted. No, never Ted. Ted got caught up in the big death penalty controversy of the 80s. And his wife, Carol Ann, worked with different groups to try to get him a permanent stay of execution. She had always been his biggest spokesperson and champion and continued to be. She had a daughter named Rosa with him and stayed in Florida to be nearby. She believed in his innocence up until the day he finally confessed his guilt, three days before his execution. And in what is often known as a bones-for-time deal, and once he confessed the truth, she turned her back on him to live her life in anonymity, and he never saw her or their daughter again. Given he only had three days left to live, those are still three days they were not there. He was trying to make a deal to get more time to live if he turned over the bodies of his victims. Unfortunately for him, that didn't quite work out. He also reached out to the FBI at a certain point and consulted on the Green River Killer case. 
story. He lent the perspective that only another serial killer could. And I hate to say it, it was insightful. Even though GRK remained on the loose for an additional 17 years, SPD, this is why we say this shit about you. If it hadn't been for Bundy, the authorities wouldn't have known to watch the body sites for the then-unidentified Gary Ridgeway to return because necrophilia was part of both of their pathologies. Yeah. And in a final attempt to pass the buck, Bundy ends up blaming all of his crimes, the motivation and reason for why he did what he did on pornography. And I, as a young teenager, probably 14 years old, ended up watching that interview in church as a way to detour us from pornography. What? What? No, no, thank, no, thank you. That, that, no, that's, I'm, yikes. I'm not sure who in the Methodist church thought it would be a good idea to show a bunch of teenagers Bundy talking about porn to get them away from porn, but mistakes were made. Wow. Yeah, no, just no. In the end... Bundy has been unequivocally credited to the deaths of 36 women and girls and is the primary suspect in 17 other cases. He hinted at having as many as a hundred plus victims, but we all know that serial killers like to bluster. But then again, with how prolific he was at trying to pick people up, how many people we know got away, and who knows how many didn't, we'll never know how large the real number was. He has been documented as killing in Washington, Oregon, California, Idaho, Utah, and Florida. I still doubt that he avoided killing in the other states he was in while fleeing authorities. Fortunately, the authorities attained a vial of his blood, and his DNA was entered into the national database for DNA comparison searches. So, it's there if it ever needs to come up. And on January 24th, 1989, Ted Bundy met his end in the Florida State electric chair to the applause of the gathered crowd who decided to make the final note in his story just as just as distasteful to the end as the rest of it with a party-like atmosphere oh florida i would say never change but i don't mean that i mean please do change now one of the random bizarre incidents related to bundy during his time in seattle Ted volunteered at a suicide hotline. You did mention that in in your lovely song. Yes, yes, he did. And he made friends with another volunteer. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. By the name of Anne Rule. Anne was a former police officer and a journalist who was older than Ted, but they grew to be friends nonetheless. Their friendship would lead to the birth of 
arguably the best true crime author of our time with the book, The Stranger Beside Me. In it, Anne tells us herself about the story that she was caught up in from a very unique perspective. It's not salacious or tawdry. It's an examination of the evidence, the victims, and the methodology, as well as the story of a man, a very evil man, but a man nonetheless. Anne Rule wrote a total of 30 books, the most notable of them being The Stranger Beside Me, a book I highly, highly, highly recommend and apparently felt the need to accidentally buy myself twice. Um, the audio version read by Anne herself really lends the emotion that she wrote with. And now we're going to wrap up this horror story of Bundy with a bit of lighthearted brevity, what we began it with. And you are going to see how quickly you can read the Anne Rule books while I time you. Okay. This is like okay. 30 different titles. I am not an auctioneer, but I'm going to do my best to be like one. Okay, are we ready? Have you got your got the stopwatch? Don't give me a countdown and tell me to go. I will give you a 10-second countdown. Okay. All right, ready? I'm ready. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, Go! The Stranger Beside Me, Lust Killer, The One-Head Killer, The I-5 Killer, Small Sacrifices, If You Really Love Me, Everything She Ever Wanted, Arose for Her Grave in Other True Cases, Crime Files Volume 1, You Belong to Me in Other True Cases, Crime Files Volume 2, Dead by Sunset, A Fever in the Heart in Other True Cases, Crime Files Volume 3, Bitter Harvest, In the Name of Love and Other True Cases, Crime Files Volume 4, The End of the Dream, The Golden Boy Who Never Grew Up, Crime Files Volume 5, A Rage to Kill in Other True Cases, Crime Files Volume 6, and never let her go. Empty Promises, Crime Files, Volume 7. Every Breath You Take, Heart Full of Lies. Last Dance, Last Chance, and Other True Cases, Crime Files, Volume 8. Without Pity, Anne Rule's Most Dangerous Killers, Crime Files Updates, Green River, Running Red, Kiss Me, Kill Me, and Other True Cases, Crime Files, Files Volume 9. Worth More Dead, and Other True Cases, Crime Files, Volume 10. No Regrets, and Other True Cases, Crime Files, Volume 11. Smoke Mirrors, and Murder, and Other True Cases, Crime Files, Volume 12. Too Late to Say Goodbye, Mortal Danger, and Other True Cases, Crime Files, Volume 13. But I Trusted You, and Other True Cases, Crime, Crime Files, Volume 14. In the Still of the Night, Don't Look Behind You, and Other True Cases, Crime Files, Volume 15. Fatal Friends, Deadly Neighbors, and Other True Cases, Crime Files, Volume 16. Danger in the Dorm, Practice to Deceive. Lying in Wait and Other True Cases, Anne Rules, Crime Files, Volume 17, and her one crime fiction, Possession. Whoo! Nice! Heck. You read that in 12 seconds. Yes! Wow, that's amazing. I, I'm impressed. Maybe I'm I'll, impressed. Yeah, I'm going to give up my stupid, stupid world of, of uh, making advent calendars and um, become uh, an auctioneer. Technically, you read that in 11 seconds yes. and uh, 22. I'm going for seconds. like a like a world record. Yeah, good job. Good job. I'm impressed. All right. Well, now we are going to end this show of ours with a our new segment, Do Something. So I know a lot of my friends have been asking, you know, what can they do about the fight for abortion rights? That's hard. That's a hard one right now. And I would like to encourage everyone to go to the ACLU's website. 
they really have a lot of great links out there right now. If, if you're looking to do something in this fight for women's rights, for bodily autonomy, for birth control, for everything that they're going to come after next, go there. Check it out. See if they have some uh, additional links that you can follow and you'll be interested in. Awesome. Yeah, because that's, that's some shit, you guys. That is some shit. That's some shit. Anyway, on that note, thank you all for listening and hanging in there with us on this one. It was a whopper, we know. We hope to see you soon at our live shows. And remember, you might be disturbed, but... You aren't driving a beige or bronze VW bug, or maybe you are. And you're not alone. Thanks for listening, friends. Please remember to like, subscribe, and tell a friend. And check us out on social media. On Facebook, we are the Disturbing Interest Podcast. Twitter, podcast underscore DI. Instagram, DI Podcast. Or if you really want to send us something, you can send it to our P.O. Box at 70515 Seattle, Washington, 98127.